Well, good morning. I'm up here a little earlier than I usually am. That means I can preach for an extra 10 or 15 minutes, right? Oh, you guys are really nice to me. Uh, but uh, let's uh, have the children be dismissed for Children's Church. Thank you for, I want to say thank you to Brenda for going the extra mile here and putting together the recorded music necessary to have our service take place in Carol's injury. She's going to have surgery, by the way, on Tuesday to put a pin or something into her broken arm. So she'll get that in and start the recovery process. But boy, makes you appreciate how much you uh, have when she's gone, doesn't it? Uh, she's a great blessing to us. And uh, so we thank God for her. Well, uh, we've been looking into the, uh, the pastoral letters of Paul, three small letters in the New Testament, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and uh, Titus. Letters that the apostle wrote to his accomplices, Timothy, one, ministering at the city of Ephesus on his behalf, Titus, ministering on his behalf on the island of Crete, one of the larger islands in the Mediterranean Sea where some new churches had been established. Well, um, Paul, one of Paul's great concern in these letters is securing the gospel in its pure form because false teachers were coming in and trying to divert the gospel and mix it with false teaching. Back then, they didn't have the finished New Testament like we do, so uh, it was easy for people to come in and represent the truth as being something else and to divert people's attention, sway people in the wrong direction. So he was very concerned about safeguarding the pure gospel, but more than that, he was, he was concerned about passing the gospel along to another generation, keeping that gospel pure and passing it on so that when he was off the scene, the gospel would just keep on going and keep on going, like the Energizer Bunny, right? keep on going, but in a different way from one generation to the next. And the success, his success is a testimony of the fact that we are here today worshiping the Lord. As if he hadn't made sure, well, of course, there were other apostles doing the same, but uh, we might not be here today. His uh, strategy is uh, encapsulated in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. We looked at this last time where Paul writes, the things which you have heard from me, he's writing to Timothy here, the gospel, the things, the, the truths that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And you see this process of passing it along from one to the next to the next, and so that it keeps on going. Now the admonitions regarding elders and deacons in these letters, 1 Timothy and Titus, need to be seen in this light because these are the ones that he's, he's placing in strategic places as 
heads of households and other strategic places in order to pass along the gospel. Um, elders have not been as pro- prominent in our denomination's life as deacons have been, but we saw the Bible had quite a bit to say about elders, so we spent several weeks uh, looking at the story of elders in the Bible uh, for what it has to say and also as sort of a background uh, backdrop of what we want to say here about uh, deacons, and that's what we want to address today. Uh, our text is from 1 Timothy chapter 3. The beginning of chapter 3, Paul lists qualifications of the elders or overseers, as they are sometimes called, also known, better known to us as pastors. Three words that mean basically the same. Three titles basically mean the same. Uh, overseer, elder, and pastor. All right, so he gives uh, qualifications of the overseer here at the beginning of chapter 3, and then verse 8, he begins with qualifications for deacons. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Now verse 12. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and a great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, for a few moments here, I want to do something a little bit different. I'm going to come down among you, and I want to do a little bit of interaction here with you all here. Uh, Let's talk about deacons a little bit. How many of you, and you can signify by raising your hand, how many of you uh, have been in churches in which deacons were a significant part of that ministry? Just raise your hand. Okay, many of you have. All right, very good. Now, of those of you who have uh, been in the deacon in a church in which de- deacons were a significant part of the ministry, if I can get this microphone on, there it is. Okay, uh, how many of you have been influenced in a positive way by their ministry, or seen them exert a positive uh, uh, influence in the on others around them? Okay, many of you also. All right, so those of you that have seen deacons uh, minister in a positive way, I'm wondering if some of you would be willing to share in a word or two what kind of positive uh, ministry they provided in the church in which you were. Uh, just just a, a sentence or a phrase or two. Brother Larry? Well, in, in uh, St. Louis, uh, the deacon control the teenagers. <laughs> they help to manage uh, the, the youth ministry okay you could always call on them and they would be willing to help you okay good somebody else I'm going way to the back here I feel like a, a, a like a afternoon show host here <laughs> Um, there was some, uh, a, a family in our church, the husband and wife, were on the verge of divorce, 
and uh, the deacons met with them and uh, on a regular basis and the couple decided to stay together and became very active in the church wow that's cool anybody else like to share a, a word or two I know speaking in public is not my uncle was a deacon of the Allen Avenue Baptist Church when we first came to California my mother my two brothers and I and, and they were uh, instrumental in helping us be more faithful and attend church more regularly even though mother had to work oh. a lot of Sundays wow that's cool anybody else Irene uh, when I was when I first started church in Barstow they would give me rides and they would pray for me and as well here when I first started coming here and I needed rides uh, one of the deacons um, got uh, Joe to come and pick me up a couple of times. Okay, good, good. All right. Well, uh, others I'm sure could share uh, other stories as well. Now, I'm not going to ask you share, to share on this next question, but uh, let me just also ask, how many of you have been in a church in which there have been some problems related to deacons? Okay, not as many, but a few. Sometimes... That's the case as well. The, the, the reason that I wanted to do this was just to point out to you uh, that there's a large variety of opinions in churches about what deacons are and what they are supposed to be doing. Um, we have some very positive opinions about deacons, and then sometimes there's been some negative experiences with deacons in churches as well. Um, but are deacons to be pastoral-type ministers in the church? Are they to be managers of the church's business? Are they to provide crowd control, as uh, Larry has suggested, for young people? Uh, are they a board of directors that oversees the work of the church or an advisory board for the pastor? Are they a watchdog over the pastor on behalf of the church? There's not a word in scripture that says deacons should take up offerings or serve the Lord's Supper or lead in prayer during the services, yet in many churches in our denominations, if you took away those jobs from the deacons, they wouldn't have much to do. Well, how do we know what deacons are and what they are to do? The commitment that we made when we started this series of messages was to be sure to be grounded and established in all that we understand in God's word and to do the, the diligent work of rightly dividing the word of truth or in properly interpreting God's word. And that's what we're going to do today. Uh, for us to understand properly this matter of the deacons and deacons ministry is not something that we should base upon our personal experience or upon tradition, but something that we should go back to God's word and see what it says in this regard. And that's what I want to do. All right, so let's talk about deacons in our New Testament. Unlike elders who appear all throughout the whole Bible, they appear in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, they appear in Israel, and they appear in the church in the New Testament, 
uh, deacons only appear in the New Testament and are only part of the church. The office or position of deacon appears to be an innovation, that is something new that uh, God brought into the church on, in its inception. In the sense of someone who holds a specifically defined position in a church, the word deacon only occurs with certainty in two places. I mentioned uh, this before. The first place is this. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. This is the address to the, uh, in the letter of Paul to the Philippian church. Paul writes a letter. In those days, they put the address, they put who it was to at the beginning. They also put who it was from at the beginning. And that's what this is about. So he says who the letter's from, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And then he says who the letter is to, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. He refers to them here as officers in this local church. So in the church at Philippi, they had both overseers or elders and they had deacons. The second prominent text in this regard is the text that I already read for you today. It's our text for today. The letter of Paul to uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, in which he outlines the qualifications of uh, deacons after he does the same for the elders or overseers. So those are the two places we know that the New Testament refers to deacons. Now there's some other passages uh, that we want to talk about here in this regard that are often associated with deacons. Uh, probably the most prominent is Acts chapter 6, uh, where seven men are appointed to help the apostles administrate a food uh, a feeding program for widows. So let me just take a moment and read this. Uh, Acts chapter 6. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, that is, the church was getting bigger, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, that is, the twelve apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the, the apostles who at this point who are acting as the elders in the church there uh, the, the ministry is getting so big that it's getting beyond their ability to do all the jobs necessary uh, in that church. And so they need to expand their organization and they select seven men. The people actually put the, people, the, the seven forward. And the apostles pray on them, put their hands on them and give them their blessing and give them responsibility of doing this ministry of distributing food so they can keep their focus on preaching the word and prayer and overseeing the ministry as a whole. Now that sounds an awful lot like what deacons do from what we know in other parts of the scripture. However, uh, the, these seven are never called deacons in this passage. That title is not given to them. 
Uh, and furthermore, in the next couple of chapters, a couple of them go out on preaching tours as if they were apostles or missionaries and doing things that uh, are way beyond just waiting on t- tables and, and doing this ministry type of thing. In my opinion, these are what, what I would call proto-deep deacons. Not quite there, but this is the beginning of the movement that eventually turned into an, an office in the church uh, here in Acts. And so there is a in my opinion, a connection, at least uh, in idea. The only other passage that may refer to the church office of deacon that I know of in the New Testament is Romans 16, chapter 1, where Paul talks about a woman named Phoebe, and he calls her a deacon or a servant of the church. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about Phoebe next week uh, when I talk about women and ministry in the church. But today I want to focus on this ambiguity in the translation. Is is Phoebe a deacon or is she a servant? The the difficulty here lies in in knowing how to translate the Greek word that's behind those two words. And so let's look at that for a few moments. Deacon comes from a Greek word, diakonos. Can you say that? Diakonos. All right, there's the Greek word. Now, I want you to notice here, there's a similarity in the letters between the English word deacon and the Greek word diakonos. They both start with a D, right? They both have an N towards the end. They both have a K sound in the middle, and some of the vowels are somewhat similar. All right, so where did we get this word deacon? Well, here's what happened. When uh, the early translators were putting the Bible into English, instead of translating the Greek word as far as its meaning is concerned, they they did what we call transliterating the, the Greek word. That is, they took the English letters that were the same as the Greek letters, and they just made a new word exactly from the Greek letter. And that's how we got the word deacon. So it's a transliteration of a Greek word. It was basically a new word in English, but it stood for an officer in the church. But this Greek word diakonos has a meaning that can be translated into English. And that meaning is servant. Diakonos means servant. And it appears many, many times in the New Testament in this particular way of translating it. Let me give you just a couple of examples. All right, so this is uh, the story about when Jesus changes the water to wine. You remember that story in John? I think it's in chapter 2. Jesus and his disciples uh, are at a wedding. They run out of wine. Maybe it was because he had so many friends with him and he uh, spilled over the guest list. We don't know. Uh, Anyway, Jesus' mother comes to him and says, hey, we've got a problem here. Jesus basically says, what do, you, what do you want me to do about it? But then the Bible says, records this. His mother said to the servants, that is, diakonos, the deacons, if you will, do whatever he tells you. And you remember how they got the water pots because they were the servants. They were the ones that went out and did whatever the master or the host told them to do. They were servants in the church. Here's another illustration. This is from the parable of the marriage 
feast that Jesus told. And I'm not going to tell the whole story. It's, it's kind of lengthy. But at the end of this parable, they're all again having a big wedding party. And the host comes in and finds somebody in the party who is dressed inappropriately for the occasion. All right? And so then uh, the king said to the what? Servants, diaconos, deacons, if you will. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, throw him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, maybe this wasn't a very good verse to use for this illustration. I don't want to give any deacons here any uh, bad ideas about what, how they should behave or what they kind of be doing here. <laughs> no, no binding hand and foot and throwing people out of here. We want to keep everybody here that we can. But uh, it's an illustration. Both of these are illustrations of the fact that the word diakonos, the same one that is translated deacon in those few instances, is often used and often translated plainly as a servant. Now, there's a related noun word. It is diac diaconia. Can you say that? Diaconia. And it means service, right? This is also a very common word in the New Testament. So, and it's related to this. Now, believers, all believers, all persons who are related to Christ in the church are instructed in the New Testament to be diakonos, that is servants, and to be engaged in diakonia, that is service. All believers, not just a special few. This comes powerfully into focus in the, in, in, in the instance in which Jesus, shortly before he was betrayed and went to the cross, you know how they were together in the upper room? And he's giving them instructions and then at a certain point in the evening, he sets aside his regular robe and puts on the towel of a servant. He still has his robe on in this picture. That's artist's conception. But in the real story, he takes on, wraps himself with a towel of a servant. And he kneels down and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. He takes on the job of a servant. And when he gets done, he says, do you know what I've done to you? He said, you call me master and Lord, and so I am. And if the master and Lord has knelt down and washed your feet, you ought to wash the feet of one another. And of course, he's talking not just about sanitizing people's feet. He's talking about serving them in humble and lowly ways. All believers in the Bible are to be engaged in the ministry of diakonia, service, and are to, to act as diakonos, that is, as deacons, so to speak, servants to one another. Paul refers to himself, the great apostle Paul refers to himself as a diakonos, a servant of the Lord and of the church. He and his accomplices referred to themselves in that way. The Bible tells us that Jesus himself comes in the role of a diakonos, of a servant. Perhaps you remember the, the, the passage in Mark chapter 10. You remember this occasion? James and John come to Jesus, right? And they kind of get him off to the side, apart from the other ten. 
And they come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we want to, you to give us whatever we ask. And that's kind of like going to God in prayer and saying, God, I want you to give me a blank divine chick, you know? Now, Jesus, being a wise man, also kind and patient, said, well, all right, what is it that you want? And so they said this to Jesus. Now, look, I know things are kind of rough right now. Things aren't going too well now. We're having to sleep out in the open, all that stuff. But we know you're a great man. Someday you're going to be on your throne in glory. And when that happens, we want to be on your right hand and on your left hand. These were ambitious guys. They want to go to the top, you know. All right, well, Jesus, you know, works with them a little bit, and he says, well, you think you can do what it's necessary to get to that point? And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, we can do it. He said, well, good, great. You're going to get to pay the price, but I can't give you the position because it's prepared for somebody else. Well, anyway, the story goes on. The ten hear about what James and John had been doing, and they get upset, probably because... They didn't think of it first, you know. The, the James and John got the inside track. But um, Jesus now uh, comes to them and he begins to say this. Uh, uh, Jesus called them together and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. You know what it's like in the world when there's powerful kings and people in authority. Everything goes downhill, right? They're commanding people left and right. You do this, you do that. Well, he sits on his big throne, you know, and everybody's doing whatever they say, snapping too. That's the way it is in the world. Now, Jesus says this, and this is the verses that I've got up on the screen for you. But it is not this to be this way among you, he says. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your diakonos, your servant. Exact same word that's translated deacon. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. And you notice that? Servant and slave are in a parallel grammatical construction here. For even the Son of Man did not come to be, what, served. That's the verbal form of this same word. He did not come to be deked, <laughs> to coin another word, but to serve, that is to be a deacon, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now this... These words of the Lord Jesus, I believe, this truth is the foundation for our understanding of what the deacon ministry should be in church. Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Those who are deacons are to excel and lead in serving. They are to be the church's chief servants. So a deacon is a servant. A servant. Not a sermon, but a servant. One pastor, Joe McKeever, writes, calling them deacons is sort of a hedge someone must have erected to prevent them from having to do what their name implies. 
In almost all the places where the New Testament uses the word, it refers to people doing the lowliest jobs in a household or an estate, not to a class of officers or leaders in the church. So he suggests, let's quit calling them deacons and start calling them what the name means, servants. Well, I don't know if we're going to do that or not, but perhaps that would eliminate a lot of confusion about what deacons are to be and to do in the church. Now, to learn a little bit more about uh, deacons, it will help be helpful for us to do a little comparison between the Bible, what the Bible says about deacons and elders. And so let's do that for a few minutes. Uh, compare and contrast. Uh, in the New Testament churches, elders appear first and then deacons. Deacons apparently came into play after elders. Uh, the elders were the ones who were teaching the word and holding the churches like the pastors of the church. And then as the churches grew and expanded and they needed extra help, as we saw in Acts chapter 6, then deacons were apparently uh, inaugurated and ro rose up to help them. Not every church we read about in the New Testament had deacons, nor apparently was it necessary for every church to have deacons. And we see this in the difference between Paul's instructions in 1 Timothy and in Titus. In both books, he gives instructions about the qualifications for elders or overseers. But only in 1 Timothy does he talk about deacons. Why doesn't he give instructions about qualifications in uh, for deacons in the book of Titus. Well, it appears that those churches were younger churches just getting started. They needed to have the oversight of pastors, but they were not developed enough or big enough to need the, the ministry of deacons yet. And so there's a sort of an order here in the New Testament in which these offices come to be and arrive. Now, second, let's notice there's a lot of similarities between the qualifications for elder and for deacon. All right, and let's do a little con comparison here. Um, on the left-hand side, you'll see the qualifications. I've, I've reordered these and reprioritized them. The, 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 the uh, qualifications for elders or overseas on the right-hand side, that of deacons, and I want to show you that how, they're, how similar they are in uh, several cases. First, uh, the elders or overseers are to be the husband of but one wife, which means... Uh, they are to be exemplary in their marital relationship. They are to be a one-woman man. And uh, it says the same of the deacon. Husband of but one, but one wife. Same exact phrase. Uh, second, he must manage his own household well. Talking about his family. That's the elder or overseer. Same with the deacon. Must manage his children and his household well. The numbers are the verses in 1 Timothy chapter 3, by the way, if you were numbering, if you were wondering. All right, he's not to be given to drunkenness, the elder. Uh, the deacon, not, not indulging in much wine. Uh, similarly, not a lover of money for the elder. Not pursuing dishonest gain, deacon. And uh, finally, fifthly, uh, the elder is to be respectable, also the deacon, worthy of respect. This is pretty interesting. Uh, there's a core of fundamental character characteristics that are to be true for both of these offices. Now, there's also some things that are not mentioned for both, so let's just quickly 
enumerate those, but uh, for the elder or overseer, we have some things. Uh, he used to be of a, above reproach. Uh, a couple things having to do with his personality. Not, he's to be temperate or self-controlled, not given to excesses and mood swings and reacting to people. Uh, hospitable in personality and in inviting people into his home. Uh, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. The overseer is going to be dealing with a lot of different people, some of them difficult, and so he can't be a person that loses his temper quickly. Uh, some things unique to the position, uh, not to be a recent convert. That goes along with the idea of an elder, somebody older, mature in the faith, and to have a good reputation with outsiders. Apparently, the overseer was somebody who, had, who related the church to the community as whole. Uh, deacons, on the other hand, it says of them they to be sincere, and uh, they got to be tested. So, to me, this says that both the deacon and elder had to be men who were mature in faith and exemplary in character. A few more things are said about uh, the elder, but both of them were, were uh, persons that had to have good quality and good, strong Christian character. Uh, they, they, just had different, they just had basically different offices. Same kind of person, but different offices. The overseer was, in, was, first of all, in charge of teaching the church, the official teaching ministry, and second, the general oversight, whereas the, the deacons were the ones on the ground doing the ministry from day to day in various different kinds of ways in the church. But they were to both be humble servants, they just served in different capacities. Now, I left out one other qualification because this distinguishes elders from deacons uh, in a prominent way. Uh, elders are to be able to teach. That is, they know the word, solid in the word, and able to teach it to others, whereas for deacons, it only says they're to keep hold of the faith with a clear conscience. Solidly grounded in the faith, but not assigned the teaching ministry in the church. Elders apparently taught, deacons did not. Uh, th that is not to say that deacons could not teach uh, in any regard. It's just that they were not assigned the, the official teaching ministry in the church. So to sort of wrap this up, uh, we have seen that all believers, all Christians in the church were to be servants toward one another and have servant attitude. We are to think of others as more important than ourselves and we are to serve one another in love. Yet members who excelled at serving were called out to perform necessary ministries for the church and they called them diakonos or servants. Maybe servant with a capital S. I don't know. And that's the main thing I want to get across to you today. Deacons are to be the church's chief servants. Now, I just want to take a minute or two to talk about deacons in contemporary church structure or, or organization. Um, today, uh, the early church had a very simple organizational pattern, apparently. They had elders or overseers, pastors, if you will, and they had deacons. That's all we, we were sure that they really had. Today, in our churches, we have things like 
business meetings. We have clerks and treasurers and moderators. We have uh, corporate officers called trustees. We have committees, committee chairpersons of various different kinds. Uh, we have uh, ministerial staff. Uh, and all of these things are good, but you don't find these titles or offices anywhere in the Bible. You find elders and deacons. So why is it that we organize our churches in that kind of a way? I believe, personally, it's because it's a way of organizing a society that we're all used to. This is how you organize uh, volunteer societies of various different kinds in corporations. It's a way that we know how to make things work in our society. Just like back there in the old days, they picked up on eldership because they were familiar with it. Well, this is how we run things today. But then we read in the Bible and say, oh yes, we're supposed to have elders and deacons as well, or pastors and deacons. We've got pastors and we have deacons too. And so we overlay upon this other kind of organization uh, the deacon ministry as well. And so what happens oftentimes is that we get a lot of uh, confusion about who's going to do what. You know, you've got Sunday school teachers and committee chairpersons and you've got your deacons and who's going to do what in the church. There's a clouding of the, the, the way that we do the church in the church. And so this is an area in which uh, if we're going to implement deacon ministry in the church, we've got to really sit down and figure out how we're going to do what with the people that we have. If you get too many positions going to the church, you'll have way more positions and you've got people to do them. So, you know, you've got to be r realistic about who's going to do what and uh, what kind of office and organization that you're going to have in the church. So at our uh, church prayer retreat recently, uh, we talked about the need to renew the deacon ministry in order to do a better job of caring for our members. And uh, that, is a, that is a great thing for us to consider doing. Uh, we need to do a better job of caring for our people. And deacons is certainly a biblical ministry that uh, we need to take seriously. But there are questions that we need to answer and work through. And with God's help, uh, we will be able to do that uh, and uh, work towards renewing this ministry in our church. But the heart of the matter is this. Deacons, I believe, from the biblical perspective, are to be the church's chief servants. They're to come with an attitude of serving others. And I've got that picture of washing of feet. That's the picture that we're to have in our minds of those who would be in this ministry. So if God allows us to renew this ministry, we want to be thinking about the kinds of persons in our church that have that kind of attitude and are willing to serve in those kinds of ways. Now, God calls us all, really, to serve and to excel in ministering. And remember, it was because Jesus took off his heavenly robes and was willing to come down to earth and take on the role of a servant that we can be saved at all. That's how we got saved, brothers and sisters. He was willing to take on our burden of sin, to wash away our sins so that we could be forgiven. If you're here today and you haven't experienced Jesus serving you by washing away your sins, I want to plead with you today that you come to Christ. Come to Him and experience Him. Let him serve you and clean you up and take your sins away. You can do that by coming to him in repentance and faith and surrendering your heart to him. I encourage you to do that. But you may be a believer here today 
And maybe some of the sin of the world is kind of encrusted on your feet, so to speak. Uh, you know, they, they'd go through the streets and the dirt of the day would get on their feet and so they'd have to wash it off. And that's how it is. The Lord Jesus cleanses our hearts, but sometimes that dirt of everyday life gets on us and we need to go to Jesus and have him wash it off again. Maybe that's what you need to do today, to come, come to the, the altar here and get some of that sin washed out of your, your heart and your life today that's been sticking to you and shouldn't be there. Maybe you need to come to the place where you need to adopt an attitude of being a servant. Perhaps you've been going through life expecting everybody to serve you, you know? Why isn't everybody doing things the way I want to do things, you know? And maybe you're realizing today, you know, God wants me to lay aside that attitude where everybody needs to serve me and to serve, begin to serve other people. Because that's what Jesus calls us to. Can you imagine what would happen if everybody here followed Jesus' instruction about having the attitude of a service and washing the feet of one another? Can you imagine? It would be incredible. I see a lot of foot washing going on already, but boy, we could do more, couldn't we? And I know I get proud sometimes, and I'm wondering, why don't people do this? Why don't they do that? And it helps me just to get out and start serving people when I get like that. Maybe that's where you need to go today. May God bring us to be a congregation of deacons in the biblical sense of the word, washing one another's feet. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Father in heaven, again for your precious word. I thank you that in your word you've given us everything necessary for faith and for life. We are so thankful that Jesus didn't sit up in heaven saying, hey, I'm God. Those guys down there are going to hell and messing up, but what is that to me? I'm so glad he didn't say that, but set aside his heavenly robe, knelt down and carried my burden to the cross so that I could be saved. Father in heaven, help us to become a congregation of servants. Help me to serve your people here more and better than I do. Thank you so much for hearing us. And if there's anyone here today that needs to know you, needs to know you I pray that today they would come to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.